Thank you for joining the ETH podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Kakshuri. In today's episode, we're talking about the presidency of the Swiss National COVID-19 Science Task Force. Martin Ackermann was the head and now Tanja Stadler has taken over the presidency of the Science Task Force. Both of you are professors at the ETH. Please introduce yourself, Tanja. What do you do when you're not the president of the task force? I'm indeed, I'm a professor at ETH. Um, the group, our, our research is around computational evolution. What we mean with that is we obtain data, mainly sequencing data from different biological organisms, and we aim at understanding evolutionary processes of those organisms. And for many, many years, we actually looked at the evolution of pathogens, infectious diseases, in particular also viruses. And so then it became obvious that we got very involved once the pandemic was spreading. Martin Ackermann, what do you do otherwise when there's no COVID-19? I have two affiliations. I'm a professor at ETH Zurich and I'm also at the Aquatic Research Institute of ETH Domain, AIRVAC. And our group studies the biology of bacteria. We study how bacteria interact with each other and with their environment. And some of that research focuses on bacteria that can make people sick, so pathogens. Martin, in Switzerland, you're known much more than ever before through working for the science task force. How do you cope with being recognized in your everyday life? This has been a, a change, a massive change, an unexpected change. So far, many of these encounters are positive. My impression is that people who are more skeptical about my role are maybe more hesitant to um, talk to me. And people who are maybe more positive or more supportive are less reluctant to approach me and start a discussion. So most of the contacts that I have with, you know, on the, on the street with people that I haven't met before are positive and friendly. And Tanya, you took over from Martin Ackermann. You gave many interviews too in the past year and a half. Are you prepared to be even more exposed than before to being recognized wherever you go to, every restaurant you go to, whenever you enter a tram or a bus? So I'm not sure if one can ever be fully prepared for um, doing this job, but I realized that there will be even more exposure. And I also saw where problems can arise and obviously also had um, some difficulties in the past. So I feel I'm prepared and if it comes down to very critical encounters or interactions or people being very critical, we have then also professional support to deal with such situations. Could you give us an example of a difficult encounter? So in the past, as one example, um, um, different members of the task force were threatened also with mail. To be honest, I knew that. And recently, when being in the office, I got this parcelet. There was no sender on it. In normal times, I would have probably just opened it and be curious what's in there. But I simply gave it to the security, which gave it to the police, which actually went to the border. I work here in Basel. So and they screened it. At the end, they brought it back to me and it was actually a present from a colleague, a nice book. But also the police said in the next time I should do exactly the same because things can also be different. You became more cautious, I assume, through the whole situation, through what you heard about your colleagues. Martin, have you encountered things like that? Yes, I and those other task force members have received threats. That's when we ask for help from the police. The past year, in one word, what word would that be? Stress. 
Tanya, what word for you? Overwhelming. In a way that things just happened very quickly and a lot of things were very important. We talked a lot about that, that we worked on many things, which each by itself in the past, I would have rated as super important and to spend a lot, a lot of time on it. But in a pandemic, things evolve so quickly. So sometimes it gets very overwhelming, all the information and then digesting it and aiming to both provide that to authorities and the decision makers, but also update the public. And then obviously there are also other obligations we have besides uh, the task force work. So it was a lot. And obviously at all points, we tried to do the best we can. And we knew some parts are very important. And then obviously you don't want to do a major mistake. And so that felt for me all, yeah, very um, overwhelming. Martin, you studied biology. You're a professor at the ETH, both of you are professors at the ETH, you know how to teach and how to research. How have you learned your skills of communicating to the Swiss population? I benefited a lot from media training from the ETH Zurich communication team. And then it was learning by doing. I started going to these weekly press conferences of the government And then, you know, you do it for the first time and it's hugely challenging. You're not sure how to, you know, speak, how to answer. And then you watch the recordings and you try to see what went well and what didn't go well and, and learn. And then um, we have plenty of opportunities to do that this year. How is it different when you communicate to politicians rather than to the population? So... Politicians and other members of the population play very different roles. What I initially did not fully appreciate is that politicians work under strict boundary conditions. And, um, you know, often you'd ask, oh, why don't you just do this and that? And then the answer is, it's not possible to do this and that because of, um, you know, laws or legal boundaries or other boundaries. And it was for me, extremely important to realize that politicians have to do decision-making under, under strict constraints. And if you want to have a dialogue with politicians, you also have to understand these constraints, at least to some degree, and consider them in how we think about the problem. And that makes it probably makes it very stressful that you can't make decisions, but have to give advice. And how do you deal with that? How do you deal with the ambivalence of what you think is good and what is actually possible. This is a challenge, obviously, but the other side for politicians, I think it's also intensely stressful to be responsible for the decisions that you're taking. We have a role where we don't take any decisions. We only make suggestions. We offer advice. And of course, sometimes you'd wish that you could influence decisions more directly. But I think it's clear rules of the game. And it's um, rules that we accepted when we started this. And it makes a lot of sense to have these different roles of advisors that do not um, take decisions themselves. Tanya, what are your experiences and thoughts so far on what Martin said about the decision making and the advice giving? For me, definitely also a lesson learned or kind of how I also would like to proceed over the next couple of months is that very important is when dealing with the politicians is to listen, to also understand their concerns and their constraints and not to be like, you should do X, Y, Z, but first, yes, to understand the general framework 
and then at the same time provide very clear the scientific expertise and the evidence we have as of today, in parallel also making clear that that could change, both from just we have more data and certain insights um, can change. So there is some uncertainty associated with what we know about the virus. And at the same time, also the virus can change. So it could be things, you know, to tomorrow there are new properties which we didn't have today. So I think it's those two ways to be very clear on the science and make it also digestible for them. They have tons of other things to do also and to decide important things that they get the main parts of the pandemic um, aspect, but then also understand them. Martin, how did working as the president of the Swiss National COVID-19 Science Task Force change the way you think about politics? You answered the question in a sense, but like in a nutshell, do you see politics differently now than you did two years ago? I certainly feel that I understand much better what it means to be a politician and to take political decisions There were very positive and also negative interactions, of course, or more critical interactions. But overall, I also gained a lot of respect. I, I met many people where it's clear that their goal is to contribute to get Switzerland through this crisis. And that's the only, you know, basically agenda that they have. And so I gained a lot of respect also for politicians, both for, you know, their efforts to engage and, and make a contribution and then also for the responsibility that they have to burden. And do both of you think that science and politics will be a better match than they were before? I certainly think and hope that this crisis will be an opportunity to revisit the link and the dialogue between science and politics and build on the experiences that have been made this year. If I just look at this one COVID science task force, It took us a lot of time or, you know, several months to build trust and develop a dialogue and mutual understanding. And now we are in a situation where this works really well. That's my impression that we have good interactions, trusting interactions. We understand each other's position much better than before. And what we can learn, I think, for future times is that it's essential to have these dialogues already existing at the time when problems arise so that one can rapidly build on these relationships and have a specific group of scientists that interact with politicians uh, on emerging problems. And what are your thoughts about science and politics, Tanya? When we first heard about SARS-CoV-2 from China, it still took quite a while until we had the task force established. So we started our work at the end of March. So we were well into lockdown already here in Switzerland. And for the future, I hope that those connections we established now and the dialogue we have, that that can be on some form institutionalized, that there is some standing kind of channel how to feed and information. So for the next crisis, and there will be crises to come, say, even related to pandemic is kind of antibiotic resistance in bacteria. Um, this was a big problem before the pandemic and didn't go away and will probably increase that we have actually um, close dialogue and the future set up institutionalized. And could you both imagine being politicians instead of professors? Do you Can you imagine changing your jobs? I have to say I have a lot of respect for the politicians and learned a lot what they do. But for myself, I realized that I very much feel I can contribute a lot 
bringing science to the politicians and providing it. So I see myself more in the role being in the science, but being very um, eager to actually share science in different ways such that society can advance based on those insights. And what about you, Martin? Yeah, very similar to what, how Tanya described it. I would be excited to also in the future contribute to a dialogue between science and society and science and politics, but then also, again, be able to pursue my biggest professional passion, which is to do research and to teach and to work together with young, excited and talented people. We talked about politics, but you had a lot to do with the administration. How was that, Martin? Our main interactions was indeed with the administration of the Swiss Office of Public Health. And it was, you know, incredible to see the pressure um, that this office is under and the challenges that this office was facing. And it was also very good and reassuring to see how many, I think, very talented and dedicated people we met in the office. And in the course of a few months, we could establish what they felt was a very productive and good dialogue and interaction where we really listen to each other, we discuss challenges together and bring in our different expertises and perspectives. So overall, this was probably the most important part of our work and, and I think a part that is working really well. Indeed, a lot of the interactions were directly with them. And I think there it was also with the administration or we all in the public, it was discussed a lot. What is the status of the digitalization here in Switzerland? And obviously also for us, it was sometimes frustrating, which then is just the whole situation. I think this is something oh, we also discussed earlier. Then we have to understand in that particular moment constraints and what we can work with. And I think this is another hopefully lesson learned for the future. We're not changing a system as we are in a crisis, but in the long run that we move forward in this path to digitalization. Did the two of you discuss your experiences about COVID-19 and being in the task force with scientists in other countries? Yes, we have the scientific communities internationally well connected, obviously, And I think this was a good platform to develop links to scientific advisors in other countries. The task force has regular calls with scientific advisory groups in European countries and also and beyond Europe. And I often participate in these. And this has been extremely insightful, both you know, in terms of content we can learn from other countries, but then also in terms of shared experiences, how scientists in different countries experience their roles as advisors. And Tanya, you've also communicated with people in other countries? Yeah, within uh, that context of the task force, and then obviously since we do a lot of work in particular on the genomic characterization of SARS-CoV-2, the sequencing, we discuss on really the scientific research level um, with scientists across the world who also follow those endeavor and exchange. So, for example, one thing always, well, in particular important to every one of us, those variants of concerns that we're really ahead and really have all the information which is just possibly available anywhere. How did you experience the attitude of the public towards science? I mean, things were changing on a daily basis in the beginning. It was like uh, masks or no masks and whatever. But I still have a high uh, belief in what you tell us or what scientists tell me. I trust in them, but I know that many people are skeptical. How did you experience that? 
I think there also it was for the public overwhelming as much as for, say, I felt at times overwhelmed, that indeed it was a new virus. We knew it for a couple of weeks. We had very limited information. And then in a scientific discourse, it's very normal that a lot of things we just don't know. It was challenging on both fronts. So for the scientists, how to exchange actually what we know. If I, as in normal times, put something public that my research colleagues can read it, it will be picked up by the public. And maybe that was too early to share, to the, not to hide something, but also it creates some kind of, you know, uncertainty how to interpret it. And one needs to then be very careful in the communication, how actually can it be interpreted? And so I think there was still a lesson learned for both sides. So for us, that now we actually don't only share things with scientists, colleagues, but with the public. So we need to be careful in the communication that it is not misinterpreted. And for the public, I think there was a lesson learned that in science, everything is, you know, we have hypotheses, we test them. Some hypotheses are not true or with additional data, we actually reject them. And this is a normal part in science. The problem here is that the pandemic is already very stressful for the whole society. And then we want some kind of certainty. But science cannot, some things we now know pretty much certain, but many things concerning us, we just cannot provide certainty there. And also it's real, real time research. It's a, a whole different way of researching, I assume. And regarding the skepticism towards science, Was it or is it still overemphasized in the media, Martin? My impression is that there's a large fraction of the population in any country, probably, but certainly also in, in Switzerland, that, uh, you know, to a large degree agrees with the general course and the scientific perspective or, or disagrees to some extent. But most people are not extreme by definition. But of course, from a media perspective, it's also interesting maybe to look at the extremes. And one possible consequence of that could be that extreme positions are overrepresented in, in the media. I think that's going on um, everywhere, including in Switzerland. And that can give them an impression of a disagreement that seems larger than it actually is. Can you relate in any way to skeptical voices, though? Can you relate that some people have uh, different thoughts on what science might suggest? Fundamentally, I can absolutely relate to that. I mean, this is <laughs> it's essential for humanity that we question established wisdom, that we question the conventional perspectives and suggest alternative ways of thinking about the problem. That's key to human populations and human nature. Of course, there's then a trade-off if that element becomes dominant, we could maybe overlook a large body of evidence that supports the current course and the current approach to a pandemic. And you, Tanya, can you relate to skeptical people? You just said before that it was important to listen to other people. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's a whole range. And so I think what I'm, I feel at some stage where I um, have more problems is if there's overwhelming amount of evidence for certain things, for example, the virus being very deadly, and then it's being discussed at some, you know, myth. It's a bit like the earth. Is it now a globe or is it flat? We don't have to have a discussion on that. We have enough data. Where I think uh, public discourse is very important is 
given what we know, what are we doing? There are trade-offs. Say some countries had schools closed, while Switzerland achieved to keep schools open for most of the time. Obviously, there are trade-offs of where infections happen, but then what are mental and psychological impacts? And I think that's where we really need the discourse and where also I am very much you know, motivated to listen to different standpoints because we don't know the right or wrong per se. Otherwise, every country would you know, eventually do it. The virus is new. But like the basic scientific fundamental evidence, a discussion around that, I think people should look at the evidence. Both of you are professors at the ETH. Is there some kind of pressure regarding the reputation of the university representing such a big, important thing such as the task force? It is the university, but it's it's more than that. It's clear that in our roles, we also represent a part of the scientific community in Switzerland. And um, that comes with a certain responsibility. And we try to... Um, be aware of this res responsibility and try to be careful in how we uh, communicate. That's not easy, but we also, as I mentioned before, um, we're hugely grateful for the professional support also from the ETH Zurich team. And you, Tanya? I mean, I feel in this crisis, obviously, we just want to do the best to help in the situation and provide the scientific expertise. And so I try that it yeah, to come back on this word overwhelming, that it doesn't get too overwhelming to focus on just that as a team and a task force and in exchange also with other scientists. Um, we try to do the best possible and then be convinced or hope that that also then results in a good outcome, which is, you know, adequate for representing the scientific community and, and our institutions. And there I have to say, obviously, we were often under pressure in the media, etc., And our institutions were very supportive and we always felt kind of, you know, people know we try our best and are supportive in helping us. Martin, what is left forgotten in such a job as an ETH professor? I worked more than I ever did before and this had consequences for everything else in my life, for my family. And I'm excited to be back fully um, now, basically. And then, of course... It also meant that my role at ETH and Airwalk and with my research group was much smaller than I wanted to be. And meaning that there were compromises for how I could support the people in, in our research group and how much I could contribute to the whole, you know, teaching and everything I need or I want to do as an ETH professor. And I'm excited to be back fully. And Tanya, how will you deal with working so much? As much as never before, probably, like Martin said. I mean, that already in the past, while being in a task force, it was a lot of work and already then more work than I ever did before. And as for Martin, certain things just needed to be reduced. So things I quickly reduced were things where I felt I could be replaced, say some departmental activities, which I enjoy contributing to, but where... You know, if I'm not there, I think somebody else could do it maybe better. Um, 
teaching also I reduced and where I tried to be there is as much as possible, but obviously um, with less time commitment than before is the PhD students and postdocs. We try to establish also that people within the group have always people to directly ask and I reserve always time to, to be there for them. And the other part, I think, where a lot, you know, working more means you have less private time. So definitely the family life did change with this pandemic a lot. And what did you do, Martin, to keep your mental health going in these times? So what has helped my mental health and my well-being was that so many of the interactions in the task force with the partners outside of the task force were extremely positive and constructive. And I think there's some disconnect from the outside in the media. The differences and discrepancies were clearly visible. But I think what was less clear from the outside is how much constructive and positive interactions there are, and both within the task force and then with the politicians and, and the administration. And these positive interactions, that sense that we're, you know, working towards a shared goal, that has made it much easier and also more enjoyable to work harder than I did before. Tanya, when do you think the task force won't be necessary anymore? When will it be obsolete? Our goal is that the task force will be obsolete as soon as possible. That having said, the virus will not disappear. It'll stay around. And so when is then a time for the task force to become redundant? It's when there are no major effects of the virus on society and how we deal with our lives. And their important challenges right now are that we still have many, many people not immunized. So we have a potential large disease burden, which could actually put a huge strain on hospitals. And at the same time, we have the kids who didn't have access to a vaccine, but um, have a huge burden to carry in this pandemic. So we want to minimize their burden, as well as look out for the people who cannot be vaccinated or where the vaccines don't work well. Martin, what are your wishes for Tanya? <laughs> what I wish, Tanya, is of course that um, it will be easier than expected. What this means is that I hope that many people in Switzerland will, who are not yet vaccinated will think about that again and take you know, an active decision and that hopefully as many people as possible will decide to get vaccinated as quickly as possible, because that would really reduce the potential disease burden and also reduce a risk that um, the situation in the healthcare system could get tight again. Thank you for talking to us, Martin Ackermann and Tanja Stadler, on the presidency of the Swiss National COVID-19 Science Task Force. I'm Jennifer Kakshuri. I produced this podcast with Tis Wachter's Audio Story Lab and sound designer Luki Fretz. <laughs>